Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I have a really fun guest on. Uh, this lady is someone who I was just on her podcast. She has incredible amount of energy, expertise. She is so philanthropic. Jerry Metcalf, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Michael. It's so good to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, you know, it was it was my honor to be on yours last week. It was really a lot of fun, and it was great. But we're going to get to that in a little bit down the road here. Yeah. But, you know, I think you are probably one of my first folks from the Atlanta market, and you're one of the top agents in Atlanta. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these listeners on my podcast, they're very international, and so mm -hmm. they like to just sort of know about the different markets. Can you just briefly tell me what the Atlanta market is looking like? I think the Atlanta market, just talk, talking, starting with the international, I think we are probably one of the best kept secrets um, for international buyers. We do have international buyers coming in, but it doesn't look like, for example, the numbers we've seen in the past in New York City, in Miami, and even LA. And, I, you know, I, there are probably a lot of reasons for that. But in Atlanta, we've got less density, low cost of living, low taxes, great school districts. The, upper, the, the cap rates on properties here, 6%. Is easy. I mean, that's kind of a low number on cap rates for investors, and it's easy to come by. So, I almost think the investors are keeping it secret. The investors here are keeping it a secret from everybody else. They don't want anyone to know. Market. <laughs> right. The average sales price in Metro Atlanta is two hundred fifty thousand, and then wow. when you get into Buckhead, it's a million. When you look at Brookhaven, which is the other market I've, and those are Buckhead is the market most people know. In Brookhaven, the, the Average sales price is about six hundred thousand, and that's come up even from half a million. These are average numbers. You guys sure, have to look up the details, but it's, it's Atlanta is an incredibly healthy market. During these times, we have people coming in. Our sales are up year over year, despite COVID. Our sales prices are up year over year already. Now they weren't during the quarantine. Um, and people are still safe in quarantining, but it's just a really interesting market, I think. And it's really blessed. We Atlanta agents are blessed to be here. You know, I think it's interesting when you're talking about the ROI, because a lot of those investors are just looking at pure numbers, right? So you've mm -hmm. got Chinese buyers, Indian buyers, you know, they mm -hmm. just want to know what that rate of return is. So mm -hmm. I actually love that. That's great. So, Jerry, how did you get started in real estate? Oh, my. Oh, my. I'll try not to give you the long answer. So Bill Fandel is one of my favorite agents um, in Telluride. And when he met, he tells the story best. He saw me on a panel. That's how we met. And he said, they said, Jerry, how did you get into real estate? Or why did you get in real estate? And I said, because I didn't have, because I, what do you say? He does my Southern accent so well. He says, because I was broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was the why. The why has changed. But yeah. that why was a big driver, but the why had to get a lot bigger and better for this to work and for me to get good at it, for me to last and be, you know. Um, but I got into it. I rode horses all my life. Um, and that was how I made, I was, I've always been naturally an entrepreneur. And I think that drew me into real estate. But as a horseback rider, I made money every time I would, I had one real job out of college and that lasted for eight months. I went right back to horses. When I went back to horses, I ended up moving to Las Vegas Started my because in in Las Vegas had someone out there that I was went to high school with. We actually ended up getting married. We're not married anymore, 
But in Las Vegas, that was that was just where we were, and that was an interesting market for horses because there weren't a lot of big horse people there because it's the desert. Right. So I was a pretty good, I was above average horseback rider, and I was an entrepreneur. So I marketed myself. I built a website when people didn't know how to build websites and new HTML and didn't have the platforms and the WordPress that we do now. So I built a website, built my business, and rode horses anyway. Long story, as short as I can get it, made a lot of bad decisions despite being a very successful horse trainer at 20, in my early 20s. Um, and made a lot of bad decisions. I mean, ended up with the wrong, you know, got divorced, ended up with another, with the wrong person after that divorce, just in all to my own. The biggest lesson I learned was we may, we are responsible. We are not, I mean, things happen to us, but it's not what, it's, it's what you do with what happens to you. Absolutely. And And about that. Yeah. Yeah, I made a lot of bad decisions, went with the, was with the wrong person, and, it, you know, it always been that person that could, no matter what, who said no to me, I always knew I could figure out, and finally, I had real regret, and I had no money, maxed out credit card, made my, I was in England for almost a year, made my way back here, had no money, no credit card, no car, and I thought, okay, I've got to figure this out, but that real job thing still isn't for me, so I'm, I'm I basically went and waited tables, had 40 pounds that I converted to 60, at the time it was like 60 something dollars, <clears throat> bought an outfit, lived with my grandmother, hitched a ride with my aunt who, who worked close to the restaurant, went to the restaurant and worked until I made enough money to rent a car to make enough to go get another job. I was working jobs. I remember working from, and then I got back into the horses, which was great for network and making fast money in your early 20s, or that was by the mid-20s. So anyway, I was working all the time, driving a car I was renting by the day because I didn't have the credit to buy a car. I barely had the credit to rent the car by the day. And then from there, had enough money and found the time. I, I, was, I was sleeping like, I think I still sleep four hours. So I had enough time to get my real estate license. And then I launched my career. And then in that, nobody wanted to work with me. So that was the biggest blessing because I had to get creative. And in getting creative, I became the top agent in a top office in Atlanta within two years. And then the story, that was, that was I've been in business, I think I've been an agent for 17 or 18 years. And then here I am today. Jerry, you know, your, your candor is just amazing. And I'm so appreciative of that because when you talk about your story, there's so many people that are probably in that exact same location, right? And in that same spot you were. And they see you as being so incredibly successful now and the journey that you had to take. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, um, to me, it, it's, you're inspiring. You are so inspiring. And where does that, I don't know, where does that resilience come from? Because you knew that it's like, I had to start from scratch. I am not going to take no for an answer. And so I just need to do this. Where did that come from? Um, that's a lot of that I have to give credit to. You know, when you're growing up having parents, I had a dad that every time my, my every time I, I have a strong personality, clearly. Um, <laughs> and I tend to need to learn to hard, need to learn things the hard way. But I think the one benefit I had as a child, because that really embedded, not that you have to have it as a kid, but I think, my experience as a kid, when I would get frustrated and stubborn, 
I had, you know, parents that would, that were very ground, well, they were very value principle based, but I had a father, my dad, I would get really frustrated and he would sit down and he would go, okay, he would diffuse my emotions, which helped me learn. Because I think one of the biggest things about success is in today's world, there's a lot, there seems to be a sense of pride in being passionate. Right. And I am passionate. But if we are not careful with our emotions and we don't know where they're coming from and don't know how to diffuse them, as Chris Voss says so well, who wrote Never Split the Difference, when you're angry, it literally reduces your IQ almost in half. So learning to diffuse emotions and learning to go, okay, here I am. What was really the problem? Is it really the people that, sure, the people I met weren't the greatest people, but who made the decision? Who made the decision to let these people in my life? Who made the decisions to do what I did? Despite the influence, at the end of the day, it was me. Right. Um, and I think that, and I'll tell you when I, because I didn't have a heart, you know, I had parents who were doctors. I grew up in a small town. I had people who loved me. I was very, you know, I mean, my parents, you know, I had a, I had a nanny, which was great, but that also gave me a sense of time with every people who weren't, as privileged as me. I just didn't realize how privileged I was. I think going through those times where things got hard gave me, you know, Wayne Dyer says, never take away from your children the privilege to struggle, which my parents did their best not to. But falling into those times gave me the opportunity to find out for myself. I think I did it subconsciously in a lot of ways. And that gave me the opportunity because I so badly wanted to please my parents because they were such great people or are such great people. But having that failure and making those decisions because I was so stubborn about having the background of a good foundation presented for me the ability to go, okay, now it's my time. Now I can, I'm going to make decisions for me and I've got to make the right, I've got to make the right decision. I've got to own my mistakes and made the right decisions for what the future holds. And, and then the next step was finding purpose and finding value and how I can, I really get, I think we all as people, we need to feel, we need to feel that we can contribute. And that's where my, I've, this isn't what I aspire to do, but where it's fulfilled me and I've stuck to this business and learned to love it and become successful is seeing how much we can, I mean, the the opportunities we have in this business and the opportunities it gives us to help others in so many ways, not just finding people houses, but mentoring people. Um, And you're kind of a therapist to your clients in a lot of ways. You know, we talked about that recently and that actually gets me to the next question. When you start talking about purpose, right? Your Mm -hmm. motto is value and service first. And that's really when we get to that sense of purpose for Mm -hmm. your clients, for yourself Mm -hmm. also, because we're part of this equation and Mm -hmm. for everyone around us. So tell me a little bit, can you give me examples of that in action when you start thinking about value and service? That's a great question. So I don't, you may not be expecting this answer, but what it, what I think of, and I think that I think that's in my bio, but, but where that, that came from is when I go back to when I, you know, had made bad decisions, was in a bad place. I, you know, I clearly I had a network, but it was a network that knew 
that I didn't have anything, that I'd been divorced, that I was not exactly, I wouldn't have hired me. I mean, and I knew that. Who's going to hire me? And it was recognizing, I think in our business, a lot of times there become, there, there's a little bit of a, I know people, so, and you know, and I know once you get in it, knowing people doesn't get you the job. Of course. It's your value. And so it, it made me ask early on, you know, my best friend who picked me up at the airport when I came back to the States did not hire me to sell her $100,000 condo, even though she knew how badly I needed the exposure in the business because I wasn't qualified. So right. I thought, how do I get qualified? What, why, I ask myself, a lot, of, a lot of times I hear people say, how do I get them to hire me? Or how do I, how do I get the job? Or how do I get the deal? I, the question is, well, why would they hire me? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and asking myself, if I were them, what am I looking for? What's important to me? You know, when I um, was talking to you last week, we talked about the idea of why you, right? What mm -hmm. is it that makes you special? You know, there's 1.4 million agents in, well, in NAR. And so why right. does somebody do business with you? And that's an answer that everyone needs to really have for themselves mm -hmm. so they can articulate that. And, and I think that's different depending on, it's not just about you. You've got to identify, what are, yes, you, what are you good at and why me? But who, who is not, there's, I think it's easy when we think, oh my gosh, there's 1.4 million members of NAR, and that's not even everybody. That's just the right. ones who paid the fees. They're still people exactly. right? So you've also, it's also, it makes it feel like, wow, there's so much competition. But at the end of the day, if you go, okay, wait, this is what I'm good at. This is the client. I would just go ahead and say, hey, don't come from scarcity. Where's that? Find the abundance. There's so many people out there who need realtors. We are so valuable to the transaction. Who, what are my, what's my skill set and or what do I want it to be? Who do I want to work with? And how do I, where's the gap between those two? How do we merge those together to fulfill to fulfill your career and also offer, like you said, value and service, but identifying that client, identifying their wants and needs and making sure you either can or fulfill that or adjust the picture. Like learn from reality is kind of the point is what do I want? Where am I? Where is what I want? How do I fill? How do I close that gap? And if it's not possible, let's readjust. Right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's, that's incredible. It's really very powerful to start thinking about it in that way because then you focus, right? It's all about focus. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do I focus on this and how do I actually do that? And so, you know, we, uh, you were talking about the lessons that you've learned over various parts of your life. What mm -hmm. would you say would be the greatest lesson you've ever learned? Oh, gosh. <laughs> many. For this one sounds a little narcissistic, but I love it, um, and it's true. And I think sometimes you know it's like on the airplane, you gotta you gotta take care of yourself first. So this 100%. is a lot of that. Yep. But the book, I'm always quoting books and people, but um, clearly they inspire me. Tom Graver, I think we might have talked about it on the, your interview with me um, on my podcast, but it was Tom Graver, the book Relentless. He said right. to have what you really 
to have what you really want or in order to have, I'm going to do it word for word, in order <laughs> to have what you really want, you must first be who you really are. Mm. And I would say to identify what you really want, because sometimes it's you don't know what you want. You need to know who you really are. And I'll take it one more level. Chris Voss, this is inspired by Chris Voss, but it is some of the best advice I ever got beyond that was it's not about you. Like it's so easy, especially in our business, to get upset, to take things personally. Um, and back to that, it's easy to react and there seems to be a lot of reward in reacting, but reacting doesn't get us far. Um, a lot of, you know, it's, it's how do we make decisions? How do we not react Passion can be good, but make sure you're coming from a place of being able to think and empathize and put things into context and realize at the end of the day, this isn't about me. I'm perhaps a bigger, a piece of, a piece of playing a part in something much bigger than just me and my story. Sure. Sure. And we're all interrelate. And the way that we interrelate with one another is mm -hmm. how that relational um, sort of experience comes to life for all of us. So I love that. I think that's beautiful. So now, Jerry, you had an incredible successful real estate career. You talked about how you started. If you weren't doing real estate, what do you think you'd be doing now? You know what really, really has always been my passion, even, in, in, you know, as a big horseback rider as a kid, but the thing I really loved then and I love now is, and it's what's inspired my podcast, Yeah, finding, seeing in people what they may or may not see in themselves, but helping them actualize that. So I would be, huh. if I wasn't doing this, I would be, even as like a 13-year-old, people used to tell me I should be a therapist and I looked into that and I was like, I don't know if I can handle that. But it would be, it would be in some level, I think it would, well, I like running my team too. Something on the level of coaching. Um, yep. Coaching is so, like the word itself is a little cliche. Um, but it, that's even what I think you and I do. Absolutely. You know, in, in working with people every day, it's just a, it's just a version of inspiring and coaching and um, like the more I've put into other, the, the times I've done things where I put so much into other agents and other people or made decisions that I thought, well, clearly money's not important. <laughs> but I have found that the more, not that you should say, well, I should focus on just not making money and just being, you know, you know, whatever, a nun or a, a volunteer, not that, but the more you I do things in a way that I'm contributing and I even think, well, gosh, why am I doing this? Um, except that it just feels right and it feels good and it's fulfilling. It has come back to my business, to my team. A hundred percent. Everything I do, it, it's, it's, it's surprisingly or not so surprisingly yep. um, profitable. So let's stay on your podcast for a second because I love it. And tell me why you started it and the message that you're hoping to bring to your listeners. Well, why did you start your podcast, Michael? Why or when? <laughs> I think we started ours. You did we start ours at the same time? I started mine at the beginning of the year. Okay, so I started mine three years ago. Oh yeah, no. So you're you've got a lot of traction on me. So I think I started it because there are probably two versions, and I'm not sure which one's more true. Um, one of them was because I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to be a real estate agent forever, and I love inspiring and coaching. This would be 
a fun way, a fun thing to do to segue into something new. And then when I did it, I just got re- better and better and better at real estate and learned so much. It, it like did the opposite of what you what I would have thought. The other reason was I started it at Southern when I was a Southern, I'm still a Sotheby's agent, but everybody, um, Brad Nelson, our CMO, likes to call it a summer vacation. But <laughs> anyway, when I would go to conventions, I especially the the brokerage I'm with now, which is Sotheby's, I met a lot of agents. I think you and I, we, you and I met at one of something like this. But indeed, yeah. And I just loved the agents. And I thought, these guys are the best. I can learn so much. They're so great. I want to keep in touch. I want to do business. But then we go home and we get busy. And now what? Like, yep. I, and I, I, I love not just to feed into people, but I love to learn. Like, every time I watch it, like, The Pursuit, not The Pursuit. The Pursuit is great, too, with Arthur C. Brooks. But The Pursuit of Happiness with yes. Will, Will Smith is in it. Yes. Like, I watched that movie and I'm on, on my phone researching this guy's story and what really happened. And by the way, his kid was not a little kid walking around. His kid was a baby when he went through that. So can you imagine? But um, anyway, but I loved that. And I thought, how can I cultivate? Because I really just felt such a connection to other real estate agents around the country. And the podcast was the answer to that question. I love that. And so my final question for you, and I ask this of a lot of my guests, and sometimes they cringe a little bit, but what would you like your legacy to be? Oh, I don't know. And maybe the reason why I say that, and maybe I do know, and I'm not, I'm, I got to dig deep on that one. But I think when you ask me that question, the thing I think is, Perhaps I don't know whatever my legacy is supposed to be. Mm. Um, I think we all, and I, 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 I'm reading a book right now. It's called Fortitude, um, and it's by Dan Crenshaw. I don't know if you know who he is, but I he's don't. a he's he's a um, he's he's a member of the U.S. Congress, and he's with he's from Texas. And I don't know if I don't remember even. This is embarrassing that I don't even know if he's with the House of Representatives of the Senate. But the book is about, the book is about, you know, a little bit about what we've talked about in this interview, but where that's coming from is part of of the book. He talks about your purpose. Yes. Um, And he says, you know, in life, we all, or his belief is we all have a purpose. And in life, it's important to know and fulfill that purpose. So I think, you know, mine is always do the right thing. Always be the best, always give to people uh, and be open to what that is, which also makes me think about if you, t- if you do show notes on this, Michael, you're going to have more books in this thing. But Mickey Singer, he wrote a book called um, Surrender Experiment. Or actually, the one everybody knows is Untethered Soul. Okay. But in, as things come, come be open to them because there's something that we're a bit part of and is bigger. Um, but I'm not really answering your question other than I think it would be that she – um, you know, did the right thing and always, I think I think more I'm an individual minded person instead of like, mm-hmm. what does the world think? And it just, and everybody that encountered me is I really like in any encounter I have with another human being, I left them better than they, than I found them. They all people, all, and not that I'm the only giver, you know, people, I, 
I, anyone, anyone I encounter with, I always, I believe that everyone we come across is an angel in one form or fashion. Everyone mm-hmm. has something that, to teach us. And I hope that I can do the same in my life and in what I do on this planet. Terry, I love that. I thank you so much for this conversation, for who you are and who you are as a person. It really is. It's so magnificent. When I talk to you, I feel so energized and I really feel cared for which is a really, um, it's a really amazing thing when you can have somebody feel that. And I think you did that for all of the listeners today with your candor, with your story and on your inspiration. And I am so grateful for you. Thank you. Well, that is you, Michael. It's an honor to be on this show. And, you know, when I'm with you, you're such an international person and you know so many people and you are so wildly successful, and yet I feel such a connection to you, just human to human. And I just, I love that. Um, and I love that. A lot of real, a lot of the big agents, the big ones, the best agents have the biggest hearts. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank it's you so much. Success. Thank you. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.